Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, last week uh, I had the privilege of introducing uh, the topic of repentance in the context of John the Baptist. And I recognize uh, now that I struggled with communicating a few things that I really wanted to get across. And part of that was uh, just the, the compound nature of me being sick and not eating and an annual business meeting. And I recognize uh, all of those things kind of come together to make some things pretty difficult. And so if I review anything today, if I hit on any topics uh, that I hit on last week, it's not just because I forgot what I preached last week. I just really want to make sure that I'm communicating clearly what the Holy Spirit has placed upon my heart to share. It's going to be a fun Sunday. I don't have a long message or anything like that. We are going to celebrate with those that are being baptized. And this is, uh, this is something that we should make a big deal about. Uh, baptisms are so important. They're important to the heart of Jesus. They're something that he instituted, that he commanded. And we're just excited to be able to play a small part in uh, the beginning uh, journey of those that are uh, saying yes to Jesus. Amen? Amen. That is exciting. And a church that is baptizing people is a church that is growing, is a church that uh, God is using. And I'm so excited about that. Now, I want to be clear uh, because I'm going to talk a little bit about repentance and baptism today. We're going to end with baptism uh, as part of the service. There were a number of people that do want to be baptized that have either been out sick with strep throat or their work schedules have prevented them from being here on a Sunday morning. Um, we are going to continue to do baptisms. We have, uh, we have filled the baptism. It has been working for a whole, like, I was going to say 24 hours, but it's probably more like 18. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, our baptism has been plagued by demons. That's just what I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm not a guy that's like, oh, there's demons in the technology, there's demons, everything's a demon. But I'm really at the place where I'm starting to believe that there are demons uh, in the baptism. I'm joking, guys. I, risk, I, I, should probably be, I should probably be clear when I say I'm not, uh, because I'm saying I'm being serious, I'm not. But uh, honestly, every time we get ready to baptize people, something breaks on our baptism. I don't know, I think it's been three or four times now that it started leaking and cracks developed and it flooded the downstairs. This was a number of years ago and we would go in and we'd replace everything that was broken only for it to start leaking again. One time it was like just completely not working at all and Stan and I came in here and we prayed over the baptism and it held through that Sunday and then after the baptisms it started leaking again. And I mean, it was just like, what is going on here? And so this one, guys, uh, I have to take uh, the fall for. When we were doing the remodel downstairs, um, we had this gas line that just went across the ceiling that was really ugly. And we had assumed it went to an old stove that we had pulled out before the remodel. And that was the only thing that was there. And uh, turns out that that gas line actually feeds the heater for the baptism for the furnace up here as well. And so uh, a frantic last-minute effort this weekend. Uh, thank you, Stephen and Linda, 
uh, helped us uh, track down someone. This is, a, this is a testimony. You know how we do testimony time in church? Uh, this is a testimony. We were able to find a plumber that would come out the same day on a weekend and fix our gas line. And so, praise God. I mean, I feel like most of you understand how crazy of a miracle that is. Somebody could be raised from the dead, and you would be like, that's pretty cool, but they got a plumber on a Saturday in Pagosa. Uh, no, we're just excited to be doing baptisms uh, today uh, because we believe, uh, we believe uh, all of heaven is rejoicing with those that are making a decision to identify with Christ. Amen? Amen. And so I want to turn to Matthew chapter 3. This is kind of our main passage of scripture that we'll be in for a while. I don't know how long, so please don't ask me. It could be a 16-part series, or this could be the last week that we're here. Um, but it's where the Holy Spirit has us today. And in reference to John the Baptist, I'm going to begin in verse 1. Uh, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. This is where I want you to really take note here in verse 6. It says, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Picking up in verse 7, it says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to, candle, uh, to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it's alive, that it's active, that it's still speaking relevant truth to us today, here in this room even. And I'm asking that you would be glorified as a result of your word going forth in power. In Jesus' name. Friends, uh, there is a difference between John's baptism, what we're reading about here in Matthew chapter 3 with what was taking place, and Christian baptism that we're going to be practicing today. But I need you to understand John's baptism because Christian baptism, what Jesus has instructed us to do, is first rooted in this place of John's baptism here in uh, the place of repentance with, uh, with what was taking place. Because we understand uh, if baptism alone saves somebody or something like that, um, that would be really strange for these people to be baptized before Jesus had died and rose again. And so while there's a heavy root here in studying uh, John's baptism, there's even greater uh, context post-resurrection of Jesus 
for the Christian ordinance of baptism, which is what we're going to be celebrating and talking about today. But I want to particularly lean into John's baptism here as a baptism of repentance because I believe that any genuine move of the Lord, and I don't need to just say I believe, I believe it's a theologically, it is a theologically accurate statement that any genuine move of God where his Holy Spirit is present, it's going to be marked by genuine, unauthentic repentance. That is something that if you want to have a qualifier for revival, is repentance taking place. You know, I could care less if people are being raised from the dead or if they're flying around a room or whatever sign or wonder that you want to enter. Are people repenting of their sins and turning towards the Lord? That is, that is my heart cry for this congregation. That's my heart cry for this community. It's not necessarily that people speak in tongues or if they, get, uh, if they get some kind of spiritual gift or we see wild miracles. Friends, I believe in this book. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the ministering of the Holy Spirit. And I, I believe that God wants to do miraculous things. But at the end of the day, there is not a greater miracle than someone who has repented repented from their sins, has turned from death to life because of what Jesus Christ has done in their lives. And so, so, so as we get excited about what God's doing, that's why I can get so excited about baptisms today. I'm far more excited to see somebody baptized than I am even blind eyes seeing. Friends, I, I, I've been there. I've experienced those things. I've seen blind eyes see. I've seen deaf ears hear. I've seen the dead raised, if you can believe it, today. I've, I, I've been a part of some really awesome things that the Lord has done. But still, nothing compares to the fact that he has made dead people live because he's made a way for us to live right in his presence. And that is cool. That is really cool. So please don't take this as, a, well, Nate's an anti-signs and wonders guy. He's an anti-moving of the spirit guy. He doesn't believe in miracles or something like that. No, we welcome those with open arms. We celebrate it when God does that. But I want to, I really want to challenge your paradigm because I think a lot of people, when they hear the word revival, when they hear, when they think about revival, they think about people laying out on a floor and, you know, having this emotional experience and we welcome that. We love it when God moves in powerful ways like that. We want to champion that. But if it's not manifesting in people repenting of their sins and turning towards God, something's wrong. And I'm not just talking about I'm not just talking about people that have never encountered the Lord before. What we see here is the religious leaders of Jesus' day were also called to repentance. Those that were in what you might call relationship with God were still called to repentance. And I believe the call for us as the church and as the bride of Christ is to bear fruit with keeping with repentance. So the call is still the same whether you have been following Jesus for a number of years or if you're brand new to this Christianity thing. We are to bear fruit. We're to keep with it. We're, going, we're called to live a lifestyle of repentance. And I'm, I haven't actually, Stan, that was my cue for you to leave. But I skipped, I skipped like three points. So I don't know now. I have notes, 
But I didn't preach my whole sermon last week. And so now I'm trying to preach it this week, and it's all out of order. And so uh, give me five or so minutes here, Stan. We're, we're good. Nobody's in a hurry today, are we? No, good. Awesome. Now I don't know where I was. Maybe I should look at my notes. I'll take a drink of water. <laughs> Believe it or not, I do prepare and I do study and I do like plot out. I try to, to my very best, plot out what I'm going to say, but um, sometimes I'm not really good at following the rules and uh, I'm working on that. But I, I, so, so one of the important things about John's baptism being a baptism of repentance is that it sets the framework for what we experience in Christian baptism because the baptism that Jesus instructs and calls us to, he actually, um, I, I might want to say, amends some of uh, what John's baptism was in terms of just repentance, but he elevates it and adds another dimension to it is something that we're going to be walking through today. But one of the first things that I, I really stuck out to me in regards to baptism in the foundational aspect of it was that when people were coming to John's baptism, they were confessing their sins. That's how it, that how it, that's how uh, verse six says they were confessing their sins and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River. And one of the things that is so revolutionary here in the context of baptism, uh, especially in John's day, was this aspect of confessing one's sin. And so as we talk about um, baptism in the Christian context today, as those that are being baptized, they are recognizing their sin and their need for Jesus. This is something that I believe is at the core and the crux of this concept of repentance, this word that we talked about last week, this metanoia. It's the literal changing of the way that you think. That's how it breaks it down there uh, in, in, in the Greek. But when we think about repentance in the, like the, 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 the very kind of uh, easiest of definition, it's turning from sin and towards the Lord. I think that's the easiest way to describe it, the most helpful way to explain it. But in order to turn from the sin, in order from, to turn from sin and turn towards Jesus, you have to one, recognize that you are a sinner. And this is something that I believe is not, you know, I, I think a lot of the times we skip over this part of the gospel. This is one of those things that makes people uncomfortable because if you're anything like me in this room, you don't like to admit that you're wrong. Anybody here just love being wrong? Oh, Joey, you got great practice at it, don't you? Joey's a, that was so underhanded. How do they let me up here, man? <laughs> I love you, Joey. The reality of it is none of us, uh, none of us are without sin. We understand that scripture calls that out, but the, the very even thought of us being wronged is something that our pride does not like to reconcile. But it's necessary if we're going to have genuine repentance because we can't turn from sin and towards Christ without recognizing that we were actually in the wrong. And that's what, God, that's what God's law was given for us. Uh, it was to expose sin for what it is. 
And thankfully, the grace and the mercy of Jesus has provided us a way. But I believe that it's important to recognize our sin. And I believe it's also important to confess it. 1 John 1.9 would tell us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, when we're talking about confessing sins here, uh, some of you may have grown up maybe with a Catholic background, and I don't pretend to be uh, all-knowing about Catholicism. I've never been Catholic. It was never part of my family history, but I do understand somewhat of the concept of a confessional. I've at least seen it in movies where they sit in the booth and they confess to a priest and you get told how many Hail Marys or Our Fathers to say in order to make up for how bad of a sin that you had committed or something like that. Um, And I think it's interesting here because Scripture doesn't actually give us uh, any kind of of, uh, um, guideline. That's a great word. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, to to confess our sins in that manner. Here in 1 John, it's actually talking about confessing our sins to him. There is, in James, we're instructed to confess our sins to one another, that we might pray for one another and be healed. Um, But we don't have this kind of hierarchy of just uh, coming to the pastor and telling him everything you've done wrong, and then I tell you how to do penance or something like that. Um, But I do believe an acknowledgement of the fact that you were a sinner, that we have broken God's heart and his law is imperative to the, whole, um, to the whole topic of repentance. If we're going to have general repentance, it begins first with godly sorrow over our sin, with remorse over breaking his heart and breaking his law. Does that make sense? It's so much more than just feeling bad. It's so much more than just being sorry and saying you won't do it again. But it begins with this place of recognizing the wrong that we've done. And this is what was happening with the Jews in the day of John the Baptist. But as we kind of move into uh, discussing John's baptism here, and this might be a great time for you, Stan, if you want to go get ready. Um, we move into, uh, in talking about John's baptism, I think it's important for us to understand this. Prior to John the Baptist showing up on the scene in the wilderness of Judea at the Jordan River baptizing people, uh, the only kind of baptism that really existed in Jewish culture was that of proselyte baptism, where if somebody was a Gentile and they wanted to pseudo-convert to Judaism, they would go through this ritualistic process of studying under a rabbi for like seven years, and then the ultimate kind of culmination of that was baptizing and washing in a mikvah that would grant you basically the role of uh, being, you would be allowed to worship um, in the outer courts of the temple. Um, it would be the process of convert. It's essentially the process of converting from Judaism or converting to Judaism as a Gentile. And so, uh, when John's showing up on the scene and he starts baptizing Jewish people, this was crazy. This was revolutionary. This was very new to them because they were they had been right with God by their birthright, not by what they had or hadn't done. Right? We understand the Jewish people felt very entitled to their relationship with God simply because they were born Jewish. 
But John the Baptist shows up on the scene and says, no, you're a wicked and perverse people. <laughs> and he starts calling him out saying, I don't care if you're Jewish or not. You need to be cleansed from your sin. And he starts bringing this he starts bringing this message of repentance because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is coming. You need to prepare to receive him. And starts talking about the, nest, the, the need for them to repent from their sins. And the baptism there was a, a signification of the washing away of sin and unrighteousness and rebirth. And this was prior to what Jesus did on the cross. This was prior to Jesus being resurrected. But it was still this uh, powerful display and demonstration of repentance where Jewish people are now coming, going through the same process of recognizing they need forgiveness. They need to be made clean in the same manner that Gentiles needed to be made clean. And so you can see why this was so wildly offensive to the, Phas uh, the Phaduces. I tried to combine Pharisees and Sadducees in one word there, just for efficiency's sake. Um, they were completely different groups of people. Um, they had wildly different beliefs, but they were both religious leaders of their day. Both didn't really like Jesus. Um, and uh, they were uh, full of themselves a little bit, if you can't tell by some of the interactions that they have with Jesus. <laughs> But they show up on the scene and they're kind of watching uh, these Jewish people being baptized. And John calls them out and he calls them, you brood of vipers. Man, can you imagine how quickly John would get canceled if he had Twitter? <laughs> I'm just saying. It would have been over for him in the day of social media. He says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And he calls him out on this. And he says, don't say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. He says, that's foolish thinking. God can raise up sons of Abraham out of these stones. Who do you think you are just because you were born uh, as a Jewish person that you don't have any, uh, that, you, that you have any need to pursue righteousness? This idea that, uh, this idea that they were, Jews by birth, and they were children of God simply because they were born. Uh, John's confronting that idea. It's it's pretty uh, it's pretty revolutionary for the Jewish faith here, and he's saying, "No, you need to repent as well. And not only do you need to repent, but you need to bear fruit with keeping with repentance." It's pretty crazy, right? It's pretty intense when we look at uh, what was taking place there. But I love the fact that the practice of baptism takes on even greater meaning once Jesus enters the scene, right? Uh, and I think one of the... Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We're going to read 6, 3 through 8. This is what Paul would say on the topic of baptism. If you read throughout the book of Acts, uh, almost every time somebody comes to faith in Jesus, they were baptized. Uh, throughout the New Testament, it is baptism and salvation are almost, I say almost, I want to clarify this statement, though, after I say it, synonymous with one another. 
It was expected that upon faith in Jesus Christ that you would follow it up with baptism because it's something that Jesus himself instructs. And if Jesus instructs it, we should probably do it, right? Yes, the answer is yes, we should do it, right? That's why in the Great Commission that Adam kind of laid out for us a number of weeks ago, we, we see that there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And I think a lot of the times when we hear messages on that, we, we stop and we're like, go and make disciples. But he says, baptize them. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's an important thing. I don't think we just get to gloss over that. When we read in Acts chapter 2, 38, it says uh, at the end of Jesus' message, right? He says, repent, repent, is what Peter says. Peter, I did, did I say Jesus' message? I meant Peter's message. Uh, Peter's message on Jesus. He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's instruction after instruction after instruction again and again and again to be baptized um, from Jesus and throughout the scripture, and the scriptural precedent is there. That's why we should take it importantly. That's why we should take it seriously. I want to encourage you, if you have not been baptized uh, after you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, it's a matter of being obedient to the instruction of the Lord that I would encourage you to do it. Do I think it's a matter of salvation? Um, no, because we have example of the thief on the cross, right? where he recognizes Jesus for who he is as Messiah. But he didn't get opportunity to be baptized, and Jesus still promised that he would be with him in paradise that night. So it's not necessarily one where I think if uh, that baptism saves you, but I do think it's important if we're going to try to be obedient to Jesus and the scriptures that it's something that we follow through with. Does that make sense? Well, cool. Romans 6, 3 through 8. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. Guys, baptism symbolizes our union with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. When we become a Christian, this is important, we die to sin and the old way of life. And we begin a whole new life. This is what baptism symbolizes today. As we get ready to uh, baptize our friends, uh, as we lay them in what many would call a watery grave, uh, it's the symbolism of us dying with Christ and being raised to new life with him. It also encompasses this idea of cleansing, as First Peter would put it. This cleansing even of our conscience it, it, it harkens all the way back to John's baptism being a baptism of repentance. It's this confession that I was a sinner in need of saving and I have surrendered and identified my life with Christ. It's so 
so important, and it's something that we should celebrate. But before we get to baptisms, and, and you guys were like on top of it, Amen. so you guys, you guys got right to it. I, I want to I make this one note, and I've said it a couple times, but it's in my notes at the end, so I'm going to say it again here at the end. We have to bear fruit with keeping with repentance. I, and this is where I think so many of us could fall in this room. Many of us, as I look around here, have been following Jesus for a number of years. Maybe we were baptized when we were children, and we've just been kind of faithfully plodding on. And I, I want to champion that. I want to celebrate that. But it's important that we're continually keeping with repentance. Knowing that repentance isn't just something that we did one time when we were converted. It's a lifestyle and a continual choice of actions to say yes to Jesus on a daily basis. When I was in ministry school, we had, uh, we had these shirts that said, Dead men have no rights. But we would talk about the fact that we would have to, uh, we'd have to lay ourselves down daily. It was a reminder for us that we would have to die daily to the flesh because that old man does want to resurrect. That old man does want to come back. It wasn't just, I said yes to Jesus one time, I checked the box, and it was good from here on out. It's this necessity for us friends that have been saying yes to Jesus for a number of years for us uh, to repent on a consistent basis. Not of us just feeling bad and, you know, trying to list all the things that we did wrong and, and, and confess them to the Lord on a, a just uh, in this kind of monotonous way. But I really believe that to keep with repentance is to keep a lifestyle of humility, to live in consistent dependence upon the Lord. Um, and also understanding that we are not perfect. I realize that is... Uh, I realize that can get confrontational here, but I think a good example of this is I got to go snowboarding with my son yesterday, and uh, it was awesome. My son, he's in the back row there. I don't know what he's doing, uh, but he's five. Wave at everybody, Finn. Woo. I, I want to talk about you. This is one of those times when your dad talks about you in a sermon, and it's a good thing. As he gets older, he's going to recognize that I had a lot of stories that maybe were not that great, but this is a good one. Um, we got to go snowboarding yesterday, and he's absolutely crushing it on a snowboard, but at the end of the day, his calves had to be just completely shredded because he'd been doing the falling leaf all day, and so the last couple runs that we did, uh, he would go for about 30 seconds and look really good, and then he'd catch a front edge, and he'd fall down, but one of the things that uh, we talked about when we first started learning how to snowboard was it didn't matter how many times you fell, it was so important to get right back up. Because the longer that you stayed on the ground, the harder it is to get back up. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but uh, that was at least the best piece of advice that I received when I was learning how to snowboard, was don't just stay on the ground, because the longer you stay there, the harder it is to get back up. And uh, I want to encourage you, um, especially in this walk with the Lord. This is not making excuses for us when we stumble, but the reality of it is we do. We fall. We stumble. We make mistakes. But it's so imperative that we don't stay in that place of falling down and staying down. It's important that we get back up. One of the Proverbs that kind of really marked me as a young man 
was uh, Proverbs 24, 16. Stayed with me for a long time. My youth pastor taught it to me. But he would tell me that a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets back up. And that is something that I want to encourage you guys with. Um, As our friends that we're baptizing today, they may fall. They may make mistakes. They may not have a perfect track record. But us as the body of Christ should be there to help pick them up. We ought to be there championing them on uh, in seeing them get back up. Um, Because uh, if we're going to continue with repentance if we're going to bear fruit, if we're going to have something to show for our turning from sin, turning towards Christ, we have to understand this is for the long haul, right? Fruit doesn't grow overnight. I I should have done like a Google search to figure out what like the fastest growing fruit is. I'm sure it's not overnight. You know, we had an apple tree um, uh, when I was a young kid, and I don't think it ever produced apples, so I don't know why I was going through uh, it actually just died because we didn't take care of it. So I was going to talk about like this story, and I realized that would just be a complete fabrication because it didn't happen. But I do know of people that have had apple trees <laughs> that they have planted, and it's been years before they saw fruit from those trees that they've carefully tendered and planted. And what I want to encourage you guys, just saying yes at the very beginning is good, but we're in this for the long haul. We're not interested in people just saying yes for a momentary kind of round of applause and yes to Jesus because it was, seemed like the right thing to do. It's a commitment for people to commit to Jesus, like those that are being baptized today. But it's also an equally important commitment from us as the body and the family of Christ to be there for our brothers and sisters. We're being baptized into a family. And when there's struggle when there's pain, when there's shortcomings, when we make mistakes, we need to be there for one another. Does that make sense? And so what we're going to do now, we're going to get ready to celebrate. We're going to do some baptisms, if that's okay. want to encourage you. Baptism is a practical demonstration of this repentance that we're talking about fleshed out. It's more than just symbolism. It's more than just tradition. We're doing this to be obedient to Jesus. And uh, I know that we have two people here with us today that are going to be baptized. But if there's anybody else here that would like to be baptized, we're not going to stop you. We'd be like, uh, we'll be like Philip and the Ethiopian here. It's like, hey, there's some water. Let's baptize you. Okay? If you would like to be baptized today, we're going to give that opportunity. Um, But we're also going to keep this filled because we know that there are some people that want to be baptized in the next couple of days, and we're going to make a big deal about it. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.